the Old Testament, God raised up incredible heroes to accomplish His plan on earth. Oftentimes, they are portrayed as superhuman and near-perfect, when in reality, they were normal, everyday men and women with strengths and weaknesses just like everyone else. In this series, CMC's pastors will share the stories of these heroes of faith and what we can learn from them as we pursue God's call on our lives. Join Associate Pastor David Pate as he teaches on Daniel. I wanted to try and give just a little bit of an overview. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you know, you have Genesis, and then you have Esther over here, and then you have the judges, and then, you know, when did all that happen? How does that all come together as we, we jump into that? And, and so I wanted to to just throw out kind of the order that, and I think most, most of us, as we look at this, we kind of get, okay, Adam and Eve, Noah, the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, but then where does the rest of it come in? You know, Josh did Elijah and, and Elisha, talked about Ruth, Esther. You know, where, where do some of those guys come in? And as you look at a timeline, you see that, that Judges, Ruth, Deborah, those guys come in there. You see Saul, David, Solomon. This was the area of the kings. Then Israel splits. And then you have 850 B.C., Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah. I threw that one in there for Josh Barnett and Sarah. Uh, Joel, uh, Obadiah. These are some of the different prophets that were in the Old Testament. Then you get down to Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah. And, and I don't know that we realize that some of these guys were alive at the same time. I mean, some of these people, they were around at the same time. And you know, until you look at this, I think it, it's hard to realize, oh wow, I didn't realize they were before them because the Bible's not in chronological order in the Old Testament. You know, it, it jumps around a little bit there in the prophets. And so as you look at this 600 BC, Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Daniel, Haggai, then Esther. You know, Esther really is farther down the line. Esther is closer to when Jesus was here, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, then you have Malachi, then you, of course you have the exciting 400 silent years uh, before, and then uh, the first, James the brother of Jesus is actually the first or the earliest, uh, is what scholars say, a recorded New Testament right there. But, but you know, as you kind of throw that up there and you look at that, and of course we're going to look at Daniel tonight. Daniel's going to be uh, what we close up this series with. But I thought as we talk about Daniel, where does he fit in, in all, all of this? And as you look at this, it kind of helps you realize we talked about Esther earlier, but actually when Daniel was here, Esther hadn't even happened yet. Um, and, and so you, you see this uh, uh, come on the scene just a little bit longer. But we're going to look at Daniel tonight. Uh, Daniel, when you think of him, you might think of Daniel and the lion's den. You might think of that story. But Daniel was more than that. He was more than just this one moment. Though that was a cool moment. Obviously, that's a real cool story to tell your friends. I was in a lion's den and I lived. Um, so that was a cool, cool story for him to tell his friends. But he was more than just that moment. Daniel, the name, means judgment of God or God my judge. And the life of Daniel is found in the book of Daniel, which makes it easy. But, but it's only 12 chapters. And when you read Daniel, I don't know if you've ever done that or you listen to it on your, your Bible program, it actually can be very confusing. And the reason that Daniel can be very confusing is because it's actually not in chronological order, even of Daniel. So when you look at Daniel chapters 1 through 12, uh, 
Chap- some chapters are, are before others. In, in fact, when you look at, at chapter 6, it, it was actually written 20 uh, years uh, after chapter 7. So when you read it, you read one king, then you read another king, and it's like, okay, wait, whoa, wait a And it seems like it's jumping, and it really doesn't make sense unless you read the book of Daniel in chronological order. And so I actually put together a timeline tonight for us to see the chronological order of Daniel. Now, now one, two, three, and four are in order, but, but then it jumps, actually chapter seven chronologically is after chapter four. So you have seven, then you have eight, then you have five and nine, then you have six, then you have 10 through 12. So this is the actual chronological order of Daniel. And, and when I was studying that, to learn this made a whole lot more sense to then read it like this. It flowed a whole lot better. Now another cool thing I think you have to take into, and we'll come back to this timeline, we'll come right back to this when we look at the life of Daniel. Another thing you have to realize is the political climate of what was going on at this time. And this was right when the Assyrians were waning and the Babylonians take over. And Daniel's life actually stretches between these three kingdoms. He was probably a baby uh, or a young, young boy when the Assyrians uh, were taken out and the Babylonians took over. And, and so when you look at Daniel like this, it, it helps you to see Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were Babylonian kings. So when you're reading these guys, you realize, oh, those are the Babylonian guys. And then Darius and Cyrus are, and really Darius is, is a governor under Cyrus, but those guys are the Persians. So when they take over, so Daniel's actually in between two empires, and he works for all of them. You know, hey, I'll work for this guy, then I'll work for this guy. But, but you really have to take some of this into account when you're studying and looking at Daniel's life. So we're going to think about some of this as we go through what he did. So we're going to jump back um, onto uh, the timeline. But he would have been a boy when the Assyrians were overthrown. And, and Daniel was on this earth about 90 years. He was about 85 to 90 years old. Um, and he, he lived, it was about 612 to 539 B.C. He lived during the entire Babylonian Empire. So he would have been a young boy when they took over. And then when they were overthrown, he, was actually, he actually prophesied their, them being overthrown. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then he takes over and starts working for these guys and gets promoted um, by the Persians. So let, let's look at this with that in mind and, and go back to our timeline. Uh, Daniel was born into Judah's royal family, and he was likely a relative of King uh, Zedekiah. And just like I said, in chapter 1, right there is where we see the Babylonians take over. And we see Nebuchadnezzar, um, he uh, attacks Jerusalem, and it was on the third attack uh, that Daniel, along with three of his friends, and many others, but Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we know those guys, they're taken captive by the Babylonians. And this happened, once again, when they were kids. And out of tradition, when kings would do that, what they would do is they would make these boys eunuchs for life. And so this is likely what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They were made eunuchs for life. Josephus talks about this and, and how this was the practice of the kings. And then Daniel received special training in the royal palace uh, uh, under the, them. And you remember in chapter 1 where Daniel kind of protested the way he was being educated, the way he was being trained. He said, no, can I go on this diet? Can I do it this way? And the guy said, listen, if you don't, if you don't get smarter, stronger, bigger, faster, I'm going to get in trouble, so this better work. And Daniel said, let's just test God's way. You remember that in Daniel chapter 1? And, uh, and then, of course, God's way works. And, and they said in Daniel chapter 1 that there was none smarter than Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, these guys, they were incredible. Then you go on to chapter 2, and that's when Daniel interprets a dream. You remember the king has a dream in Daniel chapter 2, and none of his people can figure it out. The, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he actually wants his advisors to tell him what the dream was. Daniel doesn't say, hey, or Nebuchadnezzar doesn't say, hey, here's my dream, now tell me what it means. He says, not only do you have to interpret my dream, but you have to tell me what the dream was. And so that was a little bit of pressure for his advisors. Well, he gets so mad that he wants them all killed. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were a part of his advisor staff. And, and it talks about how Daniel calmly and wisdom says, you know, give me some time to pray to the Lord, figure out what your dream actually is, and then figure out what it means. And, and of course, God gives uh, Daniel the wisdom. Actually, Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, here's what your dream was, and here's what it means. And he starts to tell him how you dreamed about this golden statue and this golden head, and, and that actually was you. You were this awesome golden statue. And, of course, that made the, the king happy that he was this big, awesome dude. And so then you, and of course, Daniel gets promoted for, for doing all that. Then you go to chapter 3, and uh, so the king says, hey, if I have this dream of being this statue, let's make this golden statue of me and make the whole kingdom bow down to me. And so a lot of pride comes to Nebuchadnezzar here. And it was at that time that, that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, in their, said we're not going to bow down the fiery furnace. And we'll look at that story here in a little bit. Then you go to chapter 4, and because of his pride, Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, Nebuchadnezzar, your pride is killing you. Uh, you know, God's going to make you crazy. He has this other dream. And, and sure enough, it happens. And he becomes crazy. He becomes like a cow for seven years and begins to graze on the grass like a crazy person. Um, and just really, the, the story, the book of Daniel, I want to encourage you to get this out and read it. If you have not read it, it is, it is the, it's more than Daniel and the lion's den. I mean, it's so many cool things that you can see in the book of Daniel. And then you see more visions and interpretations that, that he uh, uh, interprets there. And then chapter 5, uh, uh, you see the writing on the wall. And, and that was where God's hand comes in and writes on the wall. And that was the moment, actually. That was the part where Daniel looks at the king. And this, this wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. This was after, you know, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. And then you have Belshazzar take over, the Babylonian king. And Belshazzar, same thing, got the same pride that the guy before him has. And he starts really feeling good about himself. And in chapter 5, God's hand writes on the wall in Aramaic. And of course the king, what does that mean? What, what's going on? And Daniel comes in and interprets what that means. And he interprets it in 
he literally tells the king, you're about to be destroyed. And it happens hours later, and that's when the Persians take over right there in chapter 5. How crazy to, and he actually reminds Belshazzar of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, hey, remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? That's about to happen to you. And uh, what's cool is when he interpret, when he does that, Belshazzar actually promotes him to third in the kingdom in that moment. Even though he talks about his demise by interpreting the dream, he actually promotes him in that moment. And then you flash forward uh, to the Persian king, and, and Daniel really gets in close with King Darius the Mede. And then you flash forward to the last part. So that's kind of an overview uh, of Daniel's life. And I really want us to take to, to see a few things tonight from Daniel's life. I, I want us to take some thoughts, and, and we could look at many different things, but I want to pick out a couple of things as we're talking about a holy generation this year as a church, and what can we pick out from his life in looking uh, at this hero? And there's three thoughts that, that I want to throw out for us tonight. And the first thought is this, Daniel lived life God's way. When you look at Daniel's life, you definitely see this pattern that Daniel trusted God no matter what. He lived life God's way. And you know, God's way only works every time. It only works every time. But yet, how many times do we continue to do it our own way? And then we're reminded, oh yeah, got to get back to God's way. And then God's way works but yet only to do it our own way. You know, how, how many times do we as people have this cycle of I'm going to go do it my way. Oh, wait, this isn't working. Why isn't it working? Oh, it's my way. And then we go to God's way, and then, why, and then everything's great. And then, we, then we get on this cycle of my way. You know, how does this happen to us every single time? But when you look at Daniel's life, you see this pattern of basically, God, how do you want me to live? God, how do you want me to live? God, how do you want my relationships to be? God, how, how do you want me to work? How, how do you want me to operate? And you see a life that trusted God at every single turn. And, and, and it happened right here in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel captured as a boy, being trained by by you know, this other nation, and Daniel's like, hey, can, can, can I be trained God's way? Knowing that, I mean, he could get in trouble for that, he could be punished for that, but, but he knew God's way was better, and he had this trust that if I'll do it God's way, it's going to work out. If I'll just do it, God, even if I don't understand it, even if I can't see the finish line, even, even if it costs me everything, I want to live God's way. And every single time that Daniel did that, he was promoted. Every single time he did that, God promoted him. And why did God promote him? God promoted Daniel because he didn't act spiritual he lived spiritual. And I think as a church, it's very easy for us to come to church and act spiritual, but not live spiritual. You know, it's one thing to know the Word, and it's another thing to live the Word. Do people see our spiritual walk, or do they only hear our spiritual walk? See, Daniel did the right thing in action. 
The reason he was promoted is not the way he taught. It was by the way that he lived. See, people were impressed by the way that he worked. They were impressed by the way that he did business. They were impressed by the way... See, he lived godly. He did not talk godly. Nobody in the Babylonian Empire wanted to hear about his God. They wanted to see his God. And see, it's the same in our culture today. Nobody in our culture today wants to hear about our God. They want to see our God. And then when they see the fruit of Jesus Christ in our lives, then they're going to want to know what's different about you. See, people are starving for something different, and Daniel was that guy. The way that he lived his life, it stood out. It wasn't talk. It, it was the walk. It was the way that he lived his life. And, and just like we pointed out in the timeline, Daniel actually worked for four different kings. He worked for Nebuchadnezzar. He worked for Belshazzar. He worked for Darius. And he worked for Cyrus. He worked for four different kings. And you know what he got every time? The same result. Promotion. The same result. People wanted to work with him. You know, and we're going to see here in a minute, even when he opposed people, they were for him. Even when he opposed people, because there was a way that he went about, see, he did it God's way. He, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to live my life God's way. And it says that Daniel eventually became a chief advisor to the king. He was a captive. There was a boy that was a captive, becomes a chief advisor to the king. That only happens when we do it God's way. And you know, God's way isn't necessarily a formula. You know, when you do it God's way and he promotes you, you look back five years ago or ten years ago, and you look back and you see what God did, but you didn't see that on the front end. We, we, you, you can't formulate God's promotion. You can only be faithful until he does the promoting. And see, Daniel trusted God and said, I'm going to do it God's way. The second thing, which I think is key to, to build on the first one, was Daniel didn't change when things were difficult. Daniel didn't say, you know what, I'm going to do it God's way when it's easy. I'm going to do it God's way when I'm getting all these promotions, you know. I'm going to do it God's way when it makes everyone around me feel good, you know. No, I'm, I, it's one thing to do it when it's easy, but it's another thing to do the right thing when it gets challenging. It, it will test what you're doing. Difficult moments will test what you're doing every time. Difficult moments will test, do we really want to trust God? Do, are, are we really wanting, do we really believe that God told us to do that? Are we really going to be faithful in this moment? In, in fact, turn to Daniel chapter 3, and I want to read, and I'm actually going to read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and then I'll read Daniel, but, but these, these guys really should be thrown in with Daniel because they were his best friends. They were going through what he was going through. They were captured right when he was captured. I, I just think it's harder to write Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the book title, I think. We'll just go with Daniel on that one. <laughs> you know, but it, but it was both of them in there, you know. It, it was both of them in there. And, and in chapter 3 of Daniel in verse 8, and we're going to read through a couple of stories here because that's what these heroes are all about. It's about the stories of their life. In verse 8 it says, But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. <laughs> They told. 
Verse 9, they, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and these other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews out there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you set up. So then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So here we go. Here's the moment of temptation, right? They got told on that they weren't bowing down, and the king says, I'm going to give you one more chance. So what do you do, right? What do you do? Do you, do you tell God, hey, I'm just going to do this right in front of everybody, then I'm going to ask for forgiveness here? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with them uh, that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. <laughs> then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind them, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the flames killed the soldiers as they three, threw the three men in. That's hard to say. They threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied, fell into the roaring flames, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. He exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, come out. So they came out, stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, governors, advisors crowded around them, saw that the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their head, no clothing. Not e they didn't even smell like smoke. And when I cook s'mores, I smell like I've been in the fire. They didn't even smell like smoke. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of these guys. He sent in his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command, were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever they're right. And so the king just totally turns on the way that he had been going. Why? Because they didn't change when things were difficult. And then you flash forward to Daniel uh, chapter 6, and you see Daniel in the lion's den. And what's crazy is Daniel in the lion's den is 50 years after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's 50 years later. It wasn't like, hey, a couple weeks later, Daniel. No, no, no. 50 years later, Daniel is tested. 
And you see the same thing. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because he prayed against the decree. But here's, here's what I want us to see in chapter 6. We won't read uh, all of it in chapter 6. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's jump in here. we got time. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to pick up uh, right here in verse 7, 6, 7. It says, The administrators of the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high advisors, governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it can't be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual. See, it didn't change Daniel. He did what he'd always done. With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he played three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying, asking for God's help. So he went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown in the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, the decision stands. It's the official law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring your law. He still prays to God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Why did he do that? Why did he try and think of a way to save Daniel? He must have liked him. Daniel worked in a way that this guy liked him. He spent the rest of his day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Uh, but in the evening, the men <coughs> went together. The king said, your majesty, you know the law, no law. The king can't even change it. So at last, the king gave the order for Daniel to be arrested, thrown in the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night fasting. I mean, what kind of effect did Daniel have on the king that the king was fasting? That's cool. You got to see that. That's a big deal. This king is fasting for Daniel, the one who was having people pray to him. This pagan guy is fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, couldn't sleep all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, serve the living God. Was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue from the lions? Daniel said, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. He ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was on him, for he had trusted his God. The king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions lit, they, they leaped and tore them apart. So it wasn't these guys weren't hungry. They were hungry. Then Darius sent this message and basically tells everybody they need to be serving God because he's awesome. Now, why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego stand up? Why did Daniel stand up? Were they not scared? Yes, they were scared. But they were more scared of God than they were of man. They were more scared of disappointing God than they were of man. You know, we just don't have a healthy fear of God today like these guys had. You know, God, yes, God is a God of grace, but God is also a God of justice. And we have to remember that there are consequences 
for our life. And, and, and Daniel knew that. He, he understood that. And, and, and these guys, they had fear. They just had more fear of God than a lion. They just had more fear of God than they did of what man thought or of what man did. See, Daniel had seen 50 years ago what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had seen what happened to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar and the king. And Daniel said, you know, even though it's difficult, I'm not going to change what God said to do just because it might be hard. And I think a little side note here is in both these cases, the kings respected these guys. In both these cases, the king not only respected, you see a love here with Darius that, that he was concerned for Daniel. And, and I believe that the, the, there is a way to stand up in a loving way that actually can change the culture. I, I believe that, that God's people with the love of Christ can stand up in a way that even though, I mean, Daniel, he wasn't praying to the king. He was in direct opposition but he did it in a way that everybody respected him. You know, when to say, I got fired on my job because I was a Christian, I, I mean, that, that no, it was because we weren't working hard. Because I'm telling you, anybody would want a Christ follower who was honest, hardworking, shows up early, you can trust them. Let me tell you, if we're really walking the way that God's called us to walk, everybody ought to be hiring us. Everybody. Why? Because God's people are different. God's people are different. And then the last one, and I think this is the one that Daniel's known for the most, is Daniel was a person of character. Daniel was a person of character. And once again, our message is our life, not our words. People aren't changed by what we say. They are changed by what we do. And, and, and Tim reminds me of this all the time. You know, from time to time, Tim sits me down and he gives me the talk. And the talk is, David, you got to be a man of integrity. And he's always saying, you got to watch out how you are living. I just want you to know, people aren't following you because of what you say. They will follow you because of what you do. And, and that's exactly why they followed Daniel, because he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He did the right thing. See, no one will be impressed that we go to church. They'll be impressed when our life stands out. And I think the number one killer of Christianity is Christians. The number one killer of Christianity is Christians. It's hypocrisy. See, people come to church looking for something different. And when they find the same, their thought is, I'm not an idiot. If it's the same here as it is there, I'm looking for the real thing. See, people are looking, they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for real, genuine, different Christ followers. And when we, when we as a church, the church globally, or even the church locally, when, locally, as Christian Ministries Church, if we have the real thing, if we're different, and you know, I don't think we need to be naive. People know where we go to church. People know where we go to church. And all of us are a witness for Christian ministries and ultimately for Jesus, for good or for bad, by the way that we live our lives. And it doesn't matter where we work, what we do, where we shop, who we connect with, where we go to school, people know if we're a Christ follower or not. 
by the way that we live our lives. See, people aren't looking for fake plastic. They're looking for real and genuine people that are on fire for Christ. I love Daniel chapter 6. If you're still there, Sean reminded me of this verse as we were talking about Daniel. And so I said, I've got to find the verse that she's talking about and got to read it tonight. In Daniel chapter 6, look, starting in verse 3, it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. See, that's why Daniel was promoted. But verse 4, people got jealous. Then the other administrators and high officials began to search for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But what does it say? It says, but they couldn't find anything. It says they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. That's really cool. For, and who said that about him? The people that didn't like him. Who said that about him? The people that were trying to get him fired, the people that were trying to get him in trouble. That is what they said about his life, that he was faithful, responsible, and completely trustworthy. As we bring this all together, as we look at the life of Daniel, I really believe that this verse sums up how Daniel lived his life. And I think that Daniel is the poster child for our theme this year, a holy generation. Now, doesn't mean Daniel was perfect. No one was perfect, only Jesus. Daniel had flaws. But obviously, he was intentional about being a person of character. He was intentional about doing the right thing. And, and I really want to end with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, you yourselves are, are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by every one. Paul says, as Christ followers, our lives are a letter and people are watching us. And the question, the challenge I think we have by Daniel's life is what are they seeing? People were watching Daniel. They knew he prayed. <laughs> they knew. They were watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew that they weren't bowing down to the idols. People were watching them, and whether we realize it or not, and you know what? The people that are watching us may not even be the people that we even know are watching us. But they're watching us. They're watching our lives. They're watching the way we, the, our friendships. They're watching the way we work, the way we go to school, the way we respond to authority. They're watching our, our relationships, our marriages. They're watching our responses, our attitudes. People know. People know. And we know people know because we know about other people. <laughs> we do. We watch other people. And Paul says, our lives are a letter. Our lives are a letter. And people are reading us. The question is, what are they reading? Are they reading Jesus? Are they reading Jesus? Are they saying, you know what? They've got something different, and i got to have what they have. And that's the open door for us to lead them, lead them to Christ. But I love this. They looked for a, something to find in Daniel, and they couldn't find it because he was always faithful, always responsible, and always completely trustworthy. This is exactly what people should be saying about you and I. These are our heroes that we've been looking up, but we've been looking at during this series. But these are the people that we need to say, you know what, I want to be just like them. Amen. I hope you guys enjoyed this series. Let's stand here tonight.
Let's pray over the rest of our week. God, we are so grateful uh, for this midweek encouragement. God, help us to be like Daniel. God, I know we fall short, God. Our flesh rises up. But God, help us to be like Daniel, that people can look at us and not find fault, but see you in everything that we do. God, we love you. Help Christian Ministries Church to be a light in this community and an encouragement to those around us. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Christian Ministries Church weekly podcast. Join us each week for more messages from CMC. 